Welcome to The Fintech Effect. This show is about innovation and the impact that fintechs have had on incumbents and how they are evolving in response. I'm your host, Sue Britton. I've spent my entire career inside big and small fintechs creating solutions for financial institutions. And in every situation, there are a few common characteristics that innovators need. Passion, curiosity, courage, and the willingness to fail. My goal is to share wisdom for those innovating to help them along their journey. Hope you enjoy. Lorenzo, hello, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me on today. Oh, no, I'm really, I'm I'm super pleased. Um, Welcome to the FinTech Effect. and uh, and why don't we start with you introducing yourself um, and your firm, Westmount Wealth. I'm very excited to be talking to you uh, from what I've learned about Westmount Wealth. I think there's a lot to be learned um, from, uh, from what you're doing and how you're approaching uh, business. But let's start with you, an intro. Sure. My name is Lorenzo Pedrozani. Um, I lead a, a wealth management firm that is located out of Vancouver, but we have clients in BC, Alberta, and Ontario. Um, I, I think it's not somewhere that I expected I would be. If you asked me 20 years ago, uh, this was not a very linear trajectory for me professionally. I started out university in sciences thinking I was going to be a doctor. I ended up with an honors degree in arts and philosophy and uh, then found myself as a database designer in New York. Um, in that space. And so I mean, I've always had an affinity yes. for, for technology, uh, but uh, finance was never something that I was necessarily interested in, uh, you know, until I would say my late 20s. And really it was rather serendipitous. A friend of mine who was in the business uh, over drinks one day that, you know, he thought he would see me in it. And I said, but I don't really know anything about investing. And he said, you'll be fine. Just, uh, you know, you're smart enough. You'll figure it out. <laughs> uh, and so it was probably the scariest thing I've ever done. Um, you know, going into a role where um, at the time it was essentially just commission-based. Uh, there was no base salary and you started day one with zero clients and expenses. So you were, you know, in yeah. the um, But, you know, 20 years later, fast forward, uh, you know, obviously we've built out a wonderful team. Um, and outside of work, I've got a wonderful wife and three beautiful kitties at home. So that's a little bit about me. That's great. That's great. And so, and Westmount Wealth. Um, what is the, what's the story about about your company? How did it come to be? Sure. So it, uh, I started in the business uh, at a uh, a closed channel firm, so a firm where you only sell, you know, the proprietary products of that firm. After about five years, uh, I realized as I was finishing up my CFA charter that I needed a better toolbox uh, to deploy my skills, and so I moved to an independent firm. Uh, that's where I met my business partner, Matthew Evans. Uh, we started working together and realizing that we had a pretty complementary set of skills. And uh, in 2017, that firm was acquired by a large Canadian insurance company. And unfortunately, it was a bit of a step backwards technologically uh, for us and experience-wise. Um, and that's really what started the process for us to thinking, Well, if we had a blank sheet of paper and we could build it from scratch, what would the client experience look like? 
what would the technological experience for clients look like? And that started off to a two-year process where we interviewed probably, I'd say, 40 or almost 50 uh, boutique investment council firms or family offices um, across the country just to talk about a variety of issues like structure, technology, um, you know, modeling of investments, service delivery. And that was a very interesting experience. And then in November of 2021, we, uh, you know, after two years of planning, we made the leap and launched our own uh, investment council firm, uh, registered, like I said, at BC, Alberta and Ontario. Um, and uh, it was a really a very big learning experience. Uh, I think you don't really realize as an advisor, the complexities of running a firm and the operational challenges and compliance that come with that. Uh, it's, you know, definitely a, a whole separate business apart from, you know, the client uh, service delivery side of it. So um, that's a little bit of the background of, you know, how we came to be as a firm. And, and tell us about your, you know, sort of um, value proposition, like how are, cause it's, uh, you know, one thing that has, um, struck me as I've learned more about your firm is that um, you have maybe a different uh, emphasis on, you know, what what are the key ingredients that make a successful relationship with your clients? Yeah, so there's two differentiators that I think uh, we, uh, that were, were the impetus behind why we did all this work to launch our own firm. One, we wanted to pair high-level investment management with high-level financial planning. Um, and that sounds like it should be pretty obvious. I mean, most people in our business now talk about holistic wealth and whatnot. But the reality is it's normally one in person, one advisor trying to wear many hats. They're trying to do the marketing. They're trying to pick the investments. They're trying to meet with clients, do the planning. And, um, you know, the, the challenge with the delivery of wealth management in our business is that you just have these small teams running around. And, every you know, generally the lead advisor uh, is wearing too many hats. Um, and so really the first thing we wanted to do is say, look, every one of our clients has two primary relationships, not just one, one person who's a dedicated planner and one person who is the investment manager. And absolutely we are a planning focused firm and that dictates a lot of how the money is managed. Um, and that, you know, two person um, relationship delivery is coordinated by a client service manager. And then we have some other people in the team, like an insurance specialist that are brought in by the planning lead, you know, if some extra work is needed, you know, with that person. So again, to kind of summarize, you know, there are many firms that are more investment focused, but they also do planning or planning firms that are, again, more planning folks, but also investments. We want to really achieve both at a very high level for clients. So that's the first part of it. The second part of it was really um, to help clients bridge the disconnect between how the average Canadian invests and how the average Canadian institution invests. Mm -hmm. So you would think, okay, well, I'm investing in a certain way. Wouldn't my Canada pension plan invest, be investing my money in the same way? And that's not the case at all. <laughs> um, the recent data we saw, um, again, this is North American data, not just Canadian data, is that um, the average client, the average investor with one to $5 million in investable assets has about 5% of their wealth in things outside of uh, cash, 
as stocks and bonds. And unfortunately, anything that's not those three is caught under one big blanket term, which is alternative investments. But it's such a it's such a, a broad umbrella that you know it's really unfortunate that it's all characterized as one. But if you look at yes. the average pension plan in North America, forty six percent of what they're holding today is in investments that are, would be considered alternative investments, roughly half essentially. Wow. So your average you know wealthy investor has about five, and the average pension plan has nine times as much. So you know why is that? And so. And there's, there's a number of structural reasons why that's more challenging to achieve, but we wanted to enable our clients, which are generally people in kind of the one to $20 million investable assets range to be able to achieve much in the same kind of asset classes um, as pension plans. We had many times exactly the same investment offerings. So those are the two big problems that we were trying to solve yeah. for in terms of launching a firm. There's so much there, actually, um, but you just you just made me think of, uh, and I haven't I hadn't actually sort of thought this through before. But that alternative asset um, definition that's going to be problematic um, for a whole bunch of reasons. I think moving forward, I mean, one of which is in the technology or the fintech space, um, a lot of a lot of um, people think of you know things like digital being digital assets being alternative assets. And when mm -hmm. the reality is, when you say if it's the cash, the cash stocks, bonds, bonds yeah. the, those three things, um, if it's not one of those three things, I mean, that that's that's a lot of other things. <laughs> it is a lot of things. So, you know, for example, the, the main asset classes that we, the big four non-traditional would be private equity, private credit, uh, private real estate, and private infrastructure. Those would be your, your probably your biggest buckets outside. Uh, in addition to that, we invest clients with private mortgages, uh, music royalties, so it's like that kind of intellectual property ownership, uh, farmland, timberland, um, and I'm missing, I'm missing one, I think. Um, but normally there's like eight or nine of, of like yeah. major category alternatives. And as you said, you know, what does music royalties have to do with infrastructure assets? They're yeah. so different in, in their risk to return uh, and return drivers, but they're all kind of generally bucketed uh, under, you know, the same blanket. And so there's, there's a lack of education. There's an opaqueness as well to those investments, which make them a bit more challenging. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, yeah. they're very broad, very broad, broad characterization. And I also want to clarify that when we talk about alternative investments, I'm talking about alternative asset classes. I'm yeah, not talking okay. about alternative strategies. So there's, right. a, there's another universe of investments like long, short hedge funds, market neutral hedge funds, convertible arbitrage funds, and, and, and many others where the return <laughs> set is pre not predominantly the underlying asset class. It's what the manager is doing with the investments. Interesting. So they're traditionally those those asset those alternative strategies are traditionally using traditional investments, so stocks and bonds, and applying generally derivative strategies on traditional investments to change return sets. Whereas an infrastructure fund is literally going out and buying a toll yeah. road, a yeah. port, um, you know, things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, okay. Well. Let's talk about technology and, and um, whether it ties back to, you know, sort of your differentiators um, uh, or not, probably doesn't matter, but it'd be cool to understand like how, you know, how you enable this value proposition with your 
with your clients through technology. And, um, you know, we've had a couple of chats before because we were in, introduced through a mutual friend who um, knows that I'm, you know, uh, spent my whole career in fintech. I think the first time I met you, um, you were actually, you know, teaching me a little bit about fintech that I didn't know. Um, it's a big space and, uh, and, and it's not often that you find the CEO of a firm to be so knowledgeable um, about, you know, technology and about enabling, using technologies to enable your, your strategy. So um, I know this might be, a, this might, might have been a bit of a question off script, <laughs> although most people know me, know me well enough to know that I don't follow a script, but like, what's, how did you get interested in, in technology? Well, I mean, I, I've always been a bit of a computer geek. Uh, I, you know, I was one of the three or four computer geeks, I would say, in my high school back in the day. And then, what, you know, I graduated university in, in 99. And around that time, you know, the dot-com thing was happening. So then after McGill, I went back and I did another diploma just specializing in IT. And that's how I landed in that space um, as kind of a, a database designer slash business analyst in New York. Fortunately, lost my job with 9-11, came back to Vancouver in 2000 and, you know, 2001. And unfortunately, back then, like IT was dead in Vancouver, you know, after 9-11 really yeah. took a big yeah. toll. And so I retooled for a few years uh, before kind of getting into wealth management. So all that to say, I've always had an interest on the technology side of things and really where, you know, the impetus to, to do this crazy work to launch a firm started for us was in how big of a step backwards we took when mm -hmm. our independent firm in 2017 got purchased by this big insurance company. And so for example, when I joined yeah. what was then Dundee Securities in 2010, mm -hmm. we had digital paperwork in 2010. And that was great because, you know, as our business requires more compliance, more disclosure every year, an advisor spends more and more of their time getting clients to sign all of these paperwork. You know, yeah. is that for the benefit of the client? Is that benefit yeah. for the or is that more for the benefit of the firm? And I understand, you know, now I was running it from why that happens, but ultimately it's something that gets in between an advisor and their client sometimes, just Absolutely. the volume of paperwork that needs to be done. So how do you simplify that? And then seeing having an offering in 2010 that was digital on the paperwork was, you know, a, a really interesting uh, factor for us. Well, in 2017, when we got purchased, we lost digital paperwork and we didn't get it back for three years, believe it or wow. not. It took three wow. years to reestablish re that. But I mean, that's just a very simple example of that. You know, there's many aspects to the technology that you need. There's many types of technology that you need to run a firm. And I think like in any business, figure out what you can do in-house and what you need mm -hmm. to source. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say the fintech space in Canada is, you know, grossly underdeveloped relative to where it is in the U.S. And there's a few reasons for that. I mean, ultimately in Canada, we have an oligopoly. Uh, it's an oligopoly. I don't know how you. <laughs> you just said it. You just there said you it. Oligopoly. No, I was trying. I was trying to say it's an oligopolistic system. Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, where right. you know you have five and a half banks, soon to be five, Schedule One banks that control something like ninety percent of retail assets. In the late eighties, 
you know, when the four pillars fell, they were able to buy up the trust companies. They did that. They bought up the asset management companies. Um, and, you know, so you know, the only thing they haven't been able to buy is the insurance companies, um, even though they've been trying to. And now they just now that's why insurance is a telemarketing business for banks. And they, they can't do it in branch. They'd love to do it in branch. They're not allowed yeah, they to. Would. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's good. There's a good and the bad there. Right. I mean, the good is we have a very stable system. 2008, things got very scary in the U.S. Yeah. They did not get scary in Canada. You know, we got very lucky in Canada. We kind of skated through it. OSFI, it's much easier for OSFI to regulate five banks than it is, you know, for in the U.S. where there's tens of thousands of banks. There's much more issues with bank failure, with, you know, insurance company failure. I think the last insurance company Canada failed in the life and health space was like 1982. Yeah. So, you know, we have a very stable system. The downside to that, of course, is a lack of competition. And with that comes a lack of innovation that you see in the U.S. And so really the foundation of everything is a custodial platform. And not to get too nerdy here, but, you know, most custodial platforms were developed 50 years ago, mostly using COBOL coding. Um, and they've been around for half a century. And why that's great is because they're very stable and they're very scalable and they've been... Yeah, like, you know, most of these platforms have been, they've been debugged to within an inch of their life, right? Okay. For a long time. But now you have that old book of record yeah. that needs to talk to all of this stuff on the front end. You right. want, you want, you know, an advisor admin platform that you can make changes and update client information for KYC. You want somewhere to be able to view the investments and then uh, create performance reporting or attribution on the investments. You need model trading software if you want to block trade a block of clients or a whole book because you're a discretionary money manager. You need digital paperwork. You need an online client portal. So all of these other pieces, you know, in financial planning software, all of these pieces of software needs to try and talk to each other in different ways. And like every business, you have to make a decision and say, well, am I going to spend the money and build this in-house where I have full control over it? But like with every software project, once you turn the tap on, it keeps mm -hmm. running. You can't really turn it off. Um, or am I going to go and just know there's a product somewhere that's already developed that I can pick up off the shelf. Um, but then, of course, you lose leverage and you have a yeah. little less control yeah. and, and maybe doesn't get customized exactly how you want to. Um, and maybe that person has pricing power over you when you need to renew the contract in five years. So there's no perfect solution. You just right. have to understand right. what's the best for you. Um, but these are never easy decisions on the technology side of things, especially because things are moving always at such a quick pace. And as we know, all of these technology projects are very expensive. And I think fundamentally the big challenge in our business is that the advice side of the business is not inherently that profitable. Mm -hmm. Right. The majority of the profit comes from the manufacturing. Right. That's why every major financial institution whether they be a bank channel or an independent channel, like formerly a Dundee or like an Asante with CI, um, they have proprietary product because the manufacturing side, and by manufacturing, I mean, you know, managing the money, like mutual funds, yeah. and things like that, it's infinitely scalable in general. And, it, you know, the margins are fantastic. Whereas yeah. on the, the advisory side of things, the margins are slim. And that's important because when the margins are slim, there's not a lot of money left over to make those big allocations. And each of those big technology decisions often are millions of dollars you're thinking about committing. So they're not decisions that can be made lightly. And so that's where I think a lot of, uh, a lot of the challenges in Canada, why we're very backwards relative to the U.S. on the tech side of things. Yeah, yeah. Well, those are my theories. Well, in fintech, I, am, I have a slightly rosier um, view of fintech in Canada, but 
I recognize too that it's what I do all day long, and so I kind of see a lot of companies that maybe don't haven't hit your radar yet. Um, but but at the same time, I know um, from our prior chats that you've partnered with a number of what I would consider to be fintechs. Um, I don't know if you're comfortable talking about any of them, but um, it would be interesting to understand, like if I mean you you've uh, you know, you've had um, many different experiences, some from an early adopter of, of digital technology like Dundee and now directly for your firm. Like what is, you know, what fintechs are you working with? And, and you know, do you lie in bed at night kind of worrying that they're going to, uh, you, you know, like the stereotypical worry about a startup or, or a young company where, you know, they're um, they're not as uh, reliable or safe as maybe a bigger firm that might still be using COBOL. <laughs> well, you know, and that, that's exactly it. The, the, you, when we were going to launch the platform, we needed to understand that one, there was the technological muscle behind the mm -hmm. scene to it. There was the right ownership structure in place to make sure that there was some longevity and vision to this, mm -hmm. and there was, there was enough capital to make it happen. Sure. Because, and so, you know, we we were so our main tech provider is Purpose Advisor Solutions. So, Purpose Advisor Solutions, part of Purpose Unlimited, uh, started by Som Safe, uh, formerly Claymore ETFs. That's where he made his money, and then he mm -hmm. kind of, you know, in his second life, wanted to be more of an innovator. Um, not the ETFs weren't innovative back in the day, but like the really focused in terms of what he's doing on innovating um, in the space. And so we actually were friends with the first team that joined the Purpose Advisor Solution tech stack in 2017. Mm -hmm. So we had a chance to see the platform evolve over four years. Um, and really, since we knew them quite well, we were able to really get a a truer sense under the hood of what was working and what wasn't working. Um, mm -hmm. One of the big things for us was when uh, the Wealth Simple for Advisor platform was purchased uh, by uh, Purpose Advisor Solutions. We realized that not only did it mean more assets for the platform to give it more stability, but it also came with about 20 team members that, you know, mm. with a little more tech um, muscle in terms of, you know, uh, having a group of people that had really developed something that was already pretty cool. Um, you know, with, with the Wealth Simple space in Canada and be able to help deploy it to the platform. And then the last piece of it for me, um, over and above the fact that you had some of two of the big pensions in Canada invested in the platform, um, you know, the right kind of internal, you know, Canadian pockets, if you will, was when they raised, I think it was 53 million US from Allianz. Um, so, you know, European insurance mm -hmm. company as, you know, uh, on, on like their, their their last round, and that was about three years ago. And so, you know, once you start getting international money coming into a project, it speaks to, you know, a certain, you know, potential that something might have more staying power. So yeah. we wanted to understand that there was the right people behind it, enough external interest and the right technological muscle, um, and then just a vision. Yeah, behind yeah. what was being done and some momentum uh and you know they'd been growing pretty quickly they're bringing on a lot of good teams um and they had you know really kind of a startup mindset uh you know and they still do the purpose of a solution they're always trying to innovate and iterate their development they they talk to the firms that are on the platform almost on a quarterly basis figure out what, what's working what's not working and then as they fix those things understanding what are the priorities 
for the next releases and then quickly iterating and turn, iterating and turning that around. So uh, that has been uh, essentially our, our main uh, tech platform. We use Fidelity on the back end for the custodial side of things. And then we also use Digit uh, for model trading um, and Conquest and Snap on the planning side. Wow. Uh, those are, those you just are... named like a bunch of big, big, you know, up and coming firms. It's like you, uh, you went and just picked the top of the, the top of the food chain. <laughs> well, we, we, we're trying, you know, obviously you're trying to, you're trying to partner with the best. Um, and, hmm. and yeah, I mean, it's always an evolving thing. Uh, but so far the partnership with, with purpose has been very good. Um, you know, there's always technology issues that you're working through. Nothing is perfect. Um, but they've been really responsive and really quick. And more importantly, they, you know, this is what they do. Their vision yeah. is to create that tech stack in the middle. It's a big data lake. Essentially, it's talking between the custodian, between the planning software, between the model trading and digit, and kind of bring it all together with a client interface and an advisor interface. And that's, as you're probably well aware, a lot more difficult than it sounds yeah. to be achieved. Yep. You know? yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and yeah. that is the sole focus as an entity, right? And so yeah. Um, yeah. as opposed to just being something that a broker dealer does on the side, oh, they also have a tech platform. No, the tech platform is their product. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah. And, and do you think that this, you know, fintechs like some of the ones you mentioned or some of them, you know, some others, um, I've talked to you about Clear Estate um, as an, another example, kind of adjacent to the space you're in, like, is there, like, do you think that the, and I guess for Canada um, predominantly, do you think that these new companies are starting to have an impact on the more traditional players and, you know, like waking them up a little bit to, you know, um, you know, the need for change in the, the way they're doing business? I mean, I want to say yes, but I think for a platform to really succeed in Canada, you kind of have to penetrate one of the banks uh -huh. because their market share is so big. Uh -huh. You've got like five of them that own 90% at this point. Um, yes, there is that 10% that's independent, but it's nothing like uh, the banks. And I get it from a bank's perspective, yeah. you're concerned about privacy. You're concerned yeah. about integrity. You're much more concerned about allowing a third party access to your data and all the complexity that comes with that. You're more likely going to want to build it yourself. Yeah. But you're a bank and you have many different silos and many different teams of lawyers that need mm -hmm. to all agree to things. And, you know, when it comes from the top down, it's harder to do than when it comes from the ground up um, in terms of financial yeah. disruption. So, I mean, I'm hopeful, but uh, I think the, the structural issues of the concentration of, uh, of bank holdings in Canada makes financial innovation a little more challenging. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you uh, heard the news from yesterday's fall economic statement. No, I didn't. Um, for those in the, uh, in the industry, that's called Fez. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, uh, the, uh, open banking is now, um, formally happening. So, um, I think the minister want, yeah, it's big news. So minister Freeland has included consumer driven banking 
and um, which I still don't, I, I don't, I don't know why there's such an obsession with what it's called because mm -hmm. nobody will ever be, you know, on the street saying, Hey, we're going to get me some consumer driven banking or open banking. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's, uh, it's, it's on the, on the docket now it's committed to at least, you know, those with glasses half full will say, well, you know, I won't, I won't believe it until I actually see it. Um, but there's some, somebody mentioned this to me this morning, there's some 15 pages on it or something like that in, in the actual, uh, statement document. So, um, it will be tabled as a regulation in 24 and it will become, um, it will become, uh, it will, implementation will be for the beginning of 2025. So, wow, okay, that's pretty quick. yeah, yeah. So does that change your perspective at all in terms of the banks and, you know, the only way to really kind of, for fintechs to really kind of get mainstream is to, is to work with the banks? I mean, I think there's always going to be a market for independence. The question is, you know, can they grab enough market share uh, and grow quickly enough to, I mean, there, there's a massive J curve in technology. Yeah. Um, sure. And the whole business model in the U.S. is not expected to be profitable for five to ten years. You're yeah. just venture investors and hoping that you get to scale or get bought out to justify it. But the actual profitability is not there. And I think that's really the challenge. We're a small country. How big is yeah. the independent market? You know, how, how viable is this stuff? I mean, it is, uh, you know, it does it definitely having some open banking, you know, is is key. But it's like an ecosystem. Think of Apple. Right, Apple's bought you into their ecosystem. Mm -hmm. You are going to buy your AirPods from them. You're going to buy a watch from them now. You're watching television through them. Yep. You're listening yep. to podcasts through them. It's the same thing with the banks. You know, as they integrate more and more services and have more and more, you know, yep. cloud, it's less likely you're going to go to to an independent. Um, it's not saying it's not possible. You know, we work hard to achieve. You know, most of the services that clients can get at the bank through us, um, um, but it's a little bit harder, I think, in, in Canada because of the structure, because look, the banks have been allowed to be much more than banks. Yeah, yeah. Banks weren't even in the mortgage game 50 years ago, really. It was insurance companies doing most of the mortgages. Now we think banks as mortgages, not just deposit accounts, mortgages. Now that it was asset management. Good luck finding yeah. independent trust companies in Canada, right. they're a fraction. They got all gobbled up by the banks. So it's not, yeah. they became much more than banks. So they became very, we still call them banks, but they're really very multifaceted um, financial institutions, um, capital markets, yeah. things, brokerage houses. Um, so yeah. um, there's an ability yeah. to achieve there. But again, you know, if you can, you know, like everything, pendulum swing, swing back. And definitely there's a swing back more, at least in wealth management, uh, starting to happen mm. towards the independent. Um, and so I think, you know, there is an opportunity for the purposes of the world, you know, to develop the platforms that independent firms will want to use to be able to deliver services at scale that they can't mm -hmm. do otherwise because of their size. Right. And Westmount is a, um, I mean, you know, you're obviously not limited to your geography in terms of, um, you know, you're located in in Vancouver, but as you said, you were, uh, what is it, BC, Alberta, and Ontario? Correct. Alberta, right? Okay. Yep. Um, and so when you think of like, um, you know, companies that might be thinking, oh, okay, Westmount Wealth is pretty progressive, 
Um, you know, they've got a, a, a you know, an, an interesting uh, client base. Um, and whoa, this open banking is coming where, you know, maybe there's data sharing that can start happening. Like what would be some of the, you know, sort of things that you would love to be able to do that, you know, you would say, hey, like you're open for any outreach from, from that innovation community? Um, my vision has pretty much stayed the same, I would say, over the last 10 to 15 years. And it's a little bit of what we're trying to do and obviously would love to do more of, which is, you know, our target client is somebody who is a busy individual or busy professional or busy business owner. And what they want is simplicity. Mm -hmm. A lot of noise in the world. There's a lot of attention economy, you know, starvation for time. What they want, a team of educated professionals that have given no conflicts advice. You know, they're not trying to sell proprietary product. They're not beholden to pay scales or compensation models that rely on that, that understand them and know them well. They don't want to be passed to like a call center. They don't want the person yeah. asking the phone to change every year or two. They want to oh. be like, I can pick up the phone. I know. Yep. I don't, whoever the three or four people who answers the phone on that team, they all know who I am. They know who my, mm -hmm. my kids' names are. They get my situation and they really are able to help advise me on a number of different areas, but they bring it all together effectively. Mm -hmm. So my my dream would always, has always been the idea of a portal where we can have for clients where they could mm -hmm. see everything in one place. They could see, as they do already right now, the investment part with, you know, a certain amount of information that is useful. Yep. A retirement planning part where they have some quick graphs that populate that they can play with a little bit and then yep. some documents attached. So this is the last full financial plan, retirement income plan we did for you. Oh, great. I can open it up. And there we go. There would be a cash management tab, kind of like think of a, a mint.com, which is basically saying, hey, by the way, remember, you know, in your last um, you know, last two months, you're spending a little bit too much on this, spending too much on that. There's an insurance tab that tells you all the insurance policies you have and then the actual document scan there if you want to open up one of the contracts and read it there's an estate planning tab which shows you all the kind of the high level of the key details who's the executor of the will yep. who's yep. your power of attorney but then there's also the documents attached you want to actually click and open them the idea is just everything in one place now we have most of that information for, our, for every client you know that we work with and we help them as much as we can within you know the constructs of the advice we can give but having a portal yeah. where you can have all of that information would be would be incredible so certainly on the investment side that's already mm -hmm. doable we already have that you know yeah. open banking would allow something like a mint.com to work you know you know within that space period carry through that data that would be um i think you know really cool um the planning tab would require you know some kind of integration with planning software again that is more doable the I'm estate sure. planning is potentially a little bit more complicated because you're not a lawyer um yeah. so yeah. you have to be very yeah. careful about the silos right i mean we are we are we're, we're a registered investment advisor and yeah. then the yeah. insurance business is done through a separate company that yep. is owned by the registrar you, yep. and then you know for example if you want to have accounting advice which we're looking to do in the next level built into the practice you could probably roll that into the planning but apparently not the bookkeeping if you have a bookkeeping oh. operation legally the regulators want that to be separate because bookkeepers often are allowed to make payments 
on yeah. behalf of your business owner clients. I'm like, oh, could you do all my accounting and bookkeeping? Sure. But if you want us to make payments, that can't yeah. be part of the same entity because now we have control of your money. So that has to be a separate entity. So structurally, there's some challenges. But if you're asking me, you know, what my yeah, dream yeah. scenario would be is, you know, as a busy individual with a family and a busy company, what I'd love to do would be able to log into one place and kind of see everything, all yeah. everything financial and, and simplified in a way that's intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me. Yeah. Right. Right. And if, and if I use that exact same, you know, sort of vision and say, I wish for that, it would even be, need to be more simplified because I don't understand much of, you know, the, the, uh, what all this stuff means when it, when you talk about these different investment classes and stuff. Um, can I add one thing to your, uh, to your dashboard? <laughs> um, uh, decumulation. Yes. Yes. Like, I mean, I want to retire. I, I may be too young to retire. I may, you know, decide to change my mind and retire and then start doing something again. But I don't actually, I have not the foggiest clue. Um, and I think this is true for almost anyone. Like, how do you, okay, everybody helps you save and mm -hmm. figure out how to, how much you need. And that's great. But then when you actually are starting to get towards retirement, how do you use it? How do you, how do you withdraw money from your, you know, investments in a way that's, you know, tax friendly? How do you like all that kind of stuff um, is, is a mystery. I actually just only recently learned through um, somebody that, you know, you know, um, about how to understand things like OAS and CPP for my parents, mm -hmm. which you know, was great information. I wish I had it five years ago um, because it's not looking good, to mm -hmm. be honest, um, especially if, you know, uh, and I think this is probably true again in most cases where you've got, you know, a husband and wife, the husband is, the, and I'm not trying to be, not trying to be, you know, stereotypical here. It could be a wife and a wife. It could be the wife mm -hmm. works and the husband doesn't. Regardless, if you've got one primary breadwinner and that person passes before, you know, their spouse, um, you know, a lot of the sort of government provided benefits drastically reduce, right? Yep. And you don't know that as an yep. average person, you don't know that that's what's about to happen to your parents or ultimately to you, like those kinds of things. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but I just, I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of surprised that there's very little out there other than, you know, like, like maybe some people on your team who are really knowledgeable about this stuff, you know, at Westmount or other firms, but like, why aren't there tools to figure this out? What? Oh, my light just died. <laughs> <laughs> no, lights back on. There we go. Sorry. I didn't move for long enough. Oh. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's a really good question that you're asking because, uh, you know, I think you've really teed up a lot of the value of what a good financial planner does. Yeah. Uh, decumulation is much more complicated than accumulation. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's things like sequence of return risk to think about. Um, what happens, which means what happens if you start your retirement at the beginning of a 2008? How does yeah. that impact your retirement? How do you minimize those effects? Are you using yeah. cash wedges or buffers to deal with that? What investments do I take from first? Am I taking more from TFSAs, yeah. non-wedge, RSPs, my company, 
a pension? Do I take yeah. CPP at old age security at this age or at that age? Um, you know, there is, am I using an insurance policy to take money out of the corp uh, over time? You know, is there value to that? So, and, and unfortunately, there's no blanket answer for these things. Uh, it really is a client by client basis. And, you know, even as somebody, you know, who's been in the business 20 years, um, when I'm working on a retirement plan, let's say with Joe, our retirement income specialist in the practice, we will still argue about different aspects of, of one way or another because it's not really, really eh? yeah, it's not really a cookie cutter thing. It's like, well, what about the you know, what about the person who lives a long time? Or, you know, yeah. have you thought about the, the tax the estate side of things? Lorenzo, don't you think there's a way for firms to even just be able to say, you know, hey, uh, client, this is how much you're going to have in OAS and CPP. And, you know, at, at the rate you're currently going at, let's say you're 55, um, which I am. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so here's, you know, here's this piece that you, you can, you know, potentially be somewhat comfortable with, um, assuming that you'll be able to get. And that is at least one piece of the decumulation puzzle, right? Like, in terms of like, that's the money that's going to come to you regardless of, you know, what happens. Um, but like, uh, I don't but know. The, the challenge you're really asking is optimize my retirement for me. Mm -hmm. and optimizing my retirement includes many variables that are all interacting all around, as I mentioned earlier, this big unknown of longevity. If we had, the longevity answer solved, if we knew what the, that variable's number would be, it would yeah. be so much easier. Yes, there would still be rate of return questions. Yes, there would still be like, what's the average inflation going to be over that time questions. But really yeah. the biggest unknown is the longevity. And, you know, unfortunately, you've got all of these things kind of, you know, interacting with each other. You have the choice of when you can take CPP from 60 to 70. Yeah, yeah. With security now, you can go from 65 to 70. Are you taking more from RSPs or TFSAs? And, and really, you know, there's not really a clear cut answer to these things. And unfortunately, you know, advisors, I, I don't think most advisors, and I'm not trying to disparage like colleagues of mine in the business. Yeah. They haven't really, retirement income planning is complex. And if you really understand decumulation risk, sequence of return issues, Monte Carlo analysis, AF casting, Retirement is a probabilistic concept more than anything. There's no yes or no answer. It's saying, look, using historical data and using these variables, these assumptions on all of these variables that we have, this is the probability of certainty of outcome. And then you need to decide for yourself what you're comfortable with probability-wise. Most of the time we're trying to target, let's say, a 90 or 95% success okay. rate because targeting a hundred percent success rate would be too detrimental to how much income, you know, you, you would be giving that person. Yeah. And unfortunately, the more conservative you are um, as an advisor and, and prudent with your clients, sometimes the more uncompetitive you look, if that person goes to another advisor, another institution does a plan for them say, Oh yeah, sure. You can take out, you know, 5% of your uh, assets per year. So any age 60 and you come to me and I'll probably tell you three to three and a half. And I can justify why that is, but clients don't necessarily appreciate all, oh, all yeah. the nuances that go in there. They just say, well, wait a second, this person's saying I can have more money. I'm going to go there without realizing that if you start at the beginning of 2008, 
And then suddenly your three years of retirement, you might have half the amount of assets you started with three years yeah. of retirement, and then you're really in trouble because you're yeah. never going to catch that up. So there's a value to prudence. It's not, but you know what you do. And the other thing I'll add just last to wrap this up is retirement income planning is absolutely not a one time project. It should be done every two to three years for a client, in my opinion, as they're decumulating, just to make sure that you're on track. And if you've done the work right up front, then you should only really be giving good news as the years go by and as you're able to actually give them more of their portfolio because the time frame of potential life expecting is shortening. Yeah. Well, I, I wish that, um, and you know, I've been with some of the bigger firms, um, that, uh, you know, much of what we've talked about has not materialized. Um, and I've been with the banks where, I don't necessarily think, um, you know, the folks uh, necessarily know what they're doing, right? And um, and so I, I I'm impressed with, you know, kind of what vision you're pursuing. And I would hope that there would be more technology that can kind of help you along the way. Um, and uh, you know, if I win the lottery, maybe I might, you know, actually. <laughs> Maybe I might try and actually build some of this stuff because it just makes no sense to me. We've got so many people who are, you know, in their 50s and about to go through this whole experience. And um, I, don't, I just can't imagine how many of them are really properly equipped. Like, mm -hmm. you know, maybe the regulators should spend their time on solving that problem and not on, you know, on anyway, I digress. It's not, I have no no business making those kinds of comments. No, but, but we need we need good regulation. And we're lucky in Canada that, you know, yeah. we've got good regulators. I just hope that they consolidate more. The fact that we've got 12 national original regulators, ridiculous. Oh, I think that way for all. Let's, get, all let's get a federal, let's get one unified regulator. It's great that the MFTA and IROC have merged into zero yeah. and they're moving yeah. ahead quickly. I'm happy to see, but they also need to fold the investment council world into that. Right now we're treated as yeah. like a separate entity. That doesn't make sense either. It should be one level playing field for everybody yeah. with strong yeah. regulation. It's so important uh, for yeah. client protection. And I think that is one of the upsides to, you know, the way, you know, having a bit, a smaller country, and less institutions allows for better eyesight it from should. the regulator's perspective. That's a good yeah. thing. We want that. Um, but also we need to find a way to shake up innovation uh, uh, in Canada. And it could, and, and uh, But I don't also want to undersell the, the difficulty of the problem. It, these are our yeah. difficult problems to solve. You're trying to get software to talk to many different systems. You've got yeah. privacy issue with data sharing that you need to solve. Um, yeah. But ultimately, as as you know, as a client, as a consumer, you don't care about that. You're just saying, no. I, want, I want a simple service. Deliver me a yeah. simple service, please. Yeah. Make it like simpler. And so, you know, it's we're beholden to trying to achieve that for clients. And whether it's bootstrapping that on the back end or you know, perfectly integrated <laughs> down the road, which is always you know the, uh, yeah. the dream. Um, you know, yeah. it's what we strive towards all the time. I think that um, your dashboard is like the thing that you talked about is a winning idea. So I hope you continue to add more of those capabilities and um, you know, who cares about setting up different businesses? It doesn't matter. You're gonna solve a customer problem that is gonna be so huge and so sticky that that you know, client is never gonna leave you.
Let's hope so. <laughs> swing back to me in five years. I'll tell you how it's going. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Um, so if you, if people listening to this wanted to reach out um, and, you know, sort of pitch you on how they could maybe make some of what you talked about happen, where do they find you? They can find us online at westmountwealth.com or they can cool. give us a call at 604-733-8888. Wow. That's amazing. That was my own cell phone number, but it was too good to be my cell phone number, so I gave it to the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and are you planning on expanding further across Canada? We are. Uh, so we we have been uh, reasonably successful at both inorganic and organic growth over the last five or six years, uh, even before we were a firm. Um, pretty explosive growth since we became a firm, uh, and we're looking to continue that. We're trying to get to a billion dollars here. Um, in the next two to three years. Um, and uh, a lot of that is going to come from uh, bringing on uh, external advisors. We're looking to find mm-hmm. and target, you know, polished, six, smart, successful advisors who understand the business, who understand investments, who understand planning, and who have, you know, very strong moral compasses, um, mm-hmm. want to <laughs> help deliver an excellent client experience in the way that you know we're designing it and, and really kind of be able to create that one-stop shop uh, for clients, if you will. Um, and that's the platform that we've been building out. So yes, I, I expect that about two-thirds of our growth over the next few years is going to be inorganic. Yeah, awesome. Well, and shout out to Joey. Yeah, I you know met Joey at your suggestion and he's uh, he's he fits the bill for that, right? He's excellent. He's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Very lucky yeah. to have him. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. I'm, uh, I'm, I really appreciate this. It's, I think it'll be very interesting uh, for, you know, folks in the, in the ecosystem to hear um, what you're up to. And, uh, and I, I think it's hopefully going to help people understand that there's still, still, still some way, ways, ways to go, but um, also lots of cool things that are happening. So thanks for your time. Absolutely. Thank you, Sue. Appreciate the opportunity to chat.